Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. there. I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of CATRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance. By the way, you can access that website by going to www.catra.ca. I think you'll find some interesting things there. We're going to begin tonight from uh, with our Made in Canada segment, as we always do, and this is The Queen's Men. Now, I don't know very much about that show. I don't have an episode date for it either, but it's called Murder Without Any Clues. I solemnly swear that I will faithfully, diligently, and impartially execute and perform the duties required of me as a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and will well and truly obey and perform all lawful orders and instructions which I shall receive as such without fear, favor, or affection of or towards any person. So help me God. The Queen's Men, for the first time, authentic stories of the world-famous Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Tales of men who for almost a hundred years have helped to keep peace in Canada. The Queen's Men. The Queen's Men, true stories of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Names have been changed for family protection. And now transcribe The Queen's Men. Here says, what if you haven't gotten a clue at all to a murder? Where do you start? Well, how did you answer that, Sergeant? <laughs> I explained that there's always some kind of a clue. There's always something. Yeah, I guess so. You know, I never run into one yet that didn't present something to go on. Yes, Sergeant. Well, that's a kind of good question. But if there weren't any clues, where would you start? <laughs> guess I'll have to look that one up in the manual. Read my ask. 
You remember Constable Henry and that murder case of his out in Alberta? No, what case do you mean, Bob? Well, as I remember hearing it, there was one murder with not the single clue to start with. Oh, how did it go? Uh, Constable told me about it when he was visiting our headquarters a couple of years ago. I recall it because it looked so hopeless. Nowhere to start. Not sure if I remember how he handled every step of it, but... Well, let's hear about the murder without any clues. Where did he start? He started by being pretty generally bored. He was stationed out in the ranch country where all that ever happened was a bit of cattle thieving. Constable Henry was a man of action. And after a couple of months of inactivity... You boys, if something doesn't turn up soon, just anything with a little life... To... I'm fed up playing nursemaid to a team of horses and straightening out the quarrels of a bunch of bush sodbusters. Constable Henry here, he figures he's joined the force for a life of solid adventure, and it's gone and let him down. What is it in particular you'd like to occur, Constable? Like I said, just something with some life to it. I don't mind telling you, man, I'm bored. Why, that's pretty near treason. Well, who we got here? Uh, excuse me, but men... Uh, only... Uh, uh, Officer, can, can I talk to you a minute? Certainly. My name's Charlie Underhill. I, I just ridden in 30 miles from Aiken. Hey, listen, something awful's happened. Oh, dear. Do you mind if I sit down? No, help yourself. What do you mean, Mr. Underhill? What's happened? They, they found the head of a dead man back at my place this morning. What? Yes, sir, right on my property, just the head. I saw it. Oh, it was awful. I figured I'd better ride over pronto and let you know I don't want to get mixed up in no murder. Now, let's have this story straight. Who found it? A friend of mine, Fred Jakes. He was hunting for turkey nest, Sergeant. Uh, are you, Sergeant? No, Constable. Mrs. Constable Henry, you've been talking to. Oh, howdy. I'm glad oh, to meet yeah. you. Yeah. Well, well, I don't mean I'm glad. I wish I didn't have to get mixed up in this at all. You know, you fellas, you start getting suspicious of everybody and asking a lot of questions. Well, look, hold on now. Hold on. We have a lot of questions to ask. You're right about that. But we're not suspicious of you just because this was discovered on your property. Not unless you start acting suspicious. Now, you say your friend was looking for turkey nests. Yes, sir. It looked like the turkeys had scratched up this head. Did anyone recognize the features? Uh, no, nobody knows them, and there's no one missing around our way. Uh, gee, the, that face sure looked awful. Uh, we, we figured the body must be around somewhere. You didn't change anything or dig for the body. I'll say not. We didn't touch a thing. No, sir. We, we figured it was a job for the police. There was nothing else around? Nope, nothing. No. Uh, that is, uh, nothing but a black cap all covered with grease that my young brother Pete picked up a few weeks ago. Oh, he's wearing it right now. Well, we'll ride back with you and have a look around. Uh, right now? Yeah. Jack, you got the horses? Yeah, right away. Uh, do you mind if I give my horse a drink before we start back? No, help yourself. It's around the side. All right, thank you, Constable. Well, Ed, you remember what you were saying a few minutes ago? What's that? Wanted something to turn up with a little life to it. Well, it turned up all right, but it sure doesn't sound very lifelike. Turkeys at this lodge, this turf. Take a look here, Jack. What do you mean? Look at these claw marks and the gray hairs. Coyotes have been trying to get at that body. You're right. Dig a little more in this direction, boys. A little to the left of where you are now. I hope we don't have to dig too deep, Constable. We're starting to hit a lot of stones here. Now my hunch is you're going to hit that body pretty soon. All the earth I've turned over on this farm. Never thought I'd be doing this kind of excavating. Come over here a minute, will you, Jack? 
You find something? No. I've just been thinking. You know, something puzzles me. Yeah? This murdered man is obviously a stranger around here. Not one of these farmers had ever seen him before. That's right. But the man must have been around here before he was murdered. Someone must have seen him alive. These sodbusters will pick out a stranger any time and remember him for months afterwards. Well, of course, the, the corpse could have been packed here from a distance. The job may have been done, well, a hundred miles away. Yeah, but why take the chance of discovery by burying it right at a person's back door when the murderer had the whole wide-open prairie to choose from? Maybe... Maybe it's someone with a grudge against Charlie Underhill. Someone who wanted to throw suspicion on him. Maybe one of his neighbors, for all we know. Yeah, you may be right. Maybe one of the same men who are digging for the body at this moment. Hey, look here. Hey, Constable Henry. Come here, we've hit something here. Come on, Jack. You found the body? Yeah, it looks like it. Looks like blue jean overalls he's got on at you. Hard to tell exactly with all the dirt there. Uh, keep shoveling, fellas. Go on. Yeah, it's a body, all right. Looks to be still in a good state of preservation. All right, keep going, men. We'll haul it out. Um, looks like we should find a few clues now, Ed. Oh. All right, men. I'll give you a hand with that. There he is. Now, let's see what we've got. Well, the overalls have an Atlantic City tag. Oh, fellas came a long way to get himself murdered, didn't he? Well, nothing much in the pockets. Uh, country fair badge, dated October 18th. A piece of quartz and a pipe. So all we know is he probably came up from the States within the last three months, lived in Atlantic City, attended a fair last October, and was buried here sometime in April. April? Yeah. Look at that shallow grave. If the ground wasn't frozen, whoever buried him would have dug deeper. And the body couldn't have been buried last summer or it would have, wouldn't be in such good shape. I'd say the grave was dug early this spring. Say, you're right there, Constable. You know, I tried to stick a fence post around the end of April, but when I got down a foot or so, I had to quit. Frost was still in the ground. Oh, by the bullet wounds in the head, he was shot twice behind the ear. Whoever did it certainly did a good, oh, thorough job. It's terrible to think of someone committing murder like that, you know. And right on my property, too. Uh, say, maybe it was a suicide. Charlie, suicides don't, as a rule, bury themselves. Oh. Oh, no. I guess you're right about that, Constable. That, by, by the way, I noticed you sent all the other fellows home after they dug up the, uh, uh, what's his name here. Nice of you to let me hang around. I must say it's pretty interesting. I confess our motive isn't to provide you with entertainment, Mr. Underhill. The body was found on your property. And you mentioned your brother found a cap a few weeks ago. Was it around here that he found it? Well, now, I, I never asked him. That, that's my young brother, Pete. You. Uh, just an old cap, all greasy. But he started wearing it. Perhaps he noticed something else. I'd like to have a talk with your family next. Oh, sure. I guess they won't mind. Jack, no. uh, you might start questioning the neighbors again. See if any of them can remember seeing a stranger around here a while ago. Yeah, I'll do that. Now, we'll see what we can put together this afternoon and compare notes back at headquarters. My sister, Muriel Underhill. How do you do, miss? Uh, Muriel is uh, Constable Henry of the Mounties. This is a terrible thing that's happened, finding finding what you did right on our property. Yes, miss. I'm sorry I have to trouble you, but just a few routine oh, questions. Yeah, of course. How many are there in your family? 
Well, there's Paul and Muriel and me and my young brother, Pete. That's all? Well, that's all, yeah, except I... Except another brother of ours, but he left home 15 years ago after Mother died. I've looked after the family ever since. Oh, Constable, haven't you any idea who the murdered man is? No, but I imagine we'll get an identification sooner or later. And this other brother you mentioned, does he ever come home? No, he doesn't. He writes now and then, that's all. What's his name? Duncan. Duncan Underhill. Uh-huh. Where does he live? Oh, he moves around. We we never know where he's going to turn up next. Last time we heard from him, he was at, um, uh, oh, I'm afraid I can't remember. Uh, Charlie, do you remember the name of the place? Uh, no, I never saw the letter, Muriel. Uh, you lost it, remember? Oh, yes. Oh, I'll try to remember, Constable, if you think it can help any. No, I don't think it matters much. The main thing I'd like you all to do is to think back... Try to recall if you saw any strangers around here about April. And then I'd like to talk to young Pete. Not a thing, Ed. Not one of them remembers seeing anybody in April who doesn't live in that area. Hmm. You think they're telling the truth? Oh, seems to me they are. What did you find out from the Underhill family? Well, they don't know anything either. You know, I'm inclined to believe that these hard-working settlers wouldn't be implicated in a thing like this. Mm. And where do we go from here? Well, I did get one thing. Not much. This. Oh. What is it? Magazines? Half a dozen of them. Sewn together with binder twine. The Underhill boy found them on a the trail about the same time he found the cap. Near the spot where the body was buried. Let's, let's have a look at them. I've already been through them. The only possible clue is this. Yeah? If you look very closely here, on the cover, the top one, see? Yeah. Faint pencil marks. Oh, yeah. What? Is it a name? I can hardly make out. Yeah, now look under the magnifying glass. Here. Oh, yeah, thanks. It looks like N L. What's that? Rainer, or... Well, Raymer. The I isn't dotted. Well, as you say, it isn't much. No. That name could belong to a total stranger to this area. The fact of it is, Jack, we have to trail down an unknown murderer with no clues other than a description of the victim, a greasy cap, and a bundle of magazines. Well, if that's all we have to go on, I can only suggest yeah. that we get started right away. In just a moment, we'll return for the second part of this true story of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, The Queen's Men. And now we return you to The Queen's Men. Report to Inspector Jeffries. RCMP headquarters, Ottawa, from Constable Henry, Alberta Post. Search begun for slayer of man found buried on Underhill Farm. Accompanied by Constable Jack Howard, I first questioned neighbors in near surrounding area, then moved west, visiting farms and ranches, and inquiring about two strangers seen last April. Could give only description of murdered man and carried with us his clothing. Response, 
No. Sorry, Constable, but that stuff you got don't mean anything to me. Blue jeans? Why, every man for a hundred miles around wears blue jeans like that. Yes, I'm aware of that, but look, this jacket is a little unusual. I'm hoping to find someone who remembers seeing a man wearing this jacket. Oh, yes, and there's the cap. Uh, where the... Here, here it is, Constable. Thanks. I, I realize this cap is pretty standard, too, but it's all we've got to go on. So I'd appreciate it if you'd think back and try to remember if you might have seen a stranger around your ranch in April. Uh, what did he look like, Constable? Well, he was about five feet eight, weighing approximately 170 pounds, sandy hair, blue eyes, thin mouth. Sounds kind of ordinary. Not the sort of fellow you'd remember very long. Yes, but he may have been in the company of someone else, the murderer. Well, we don't know that, of course, but we have no description of him. Look, please, try to think. Do you recall seeing a stranger or strangers in this vicinity about April? Well, now, let's see. I don't... Uh... Well, now, wait. Yeah, there was a fellow hanging around here. Yeah? Looking for a job in my ranch. What did he look like? He, uh... Oh, no. No, that wouldn't be him. Well, I come to think of it, that was a year ago, April. Oh, I think we better move on, Constable. Uh, yeah. Why, why don't you talk to Hank Albert and down at Crossroads Farm? He's a guy that remembers folks. We've seen him. We've talked to everyone in the area. Well, thank you anyway, sir. No, don't mention it. Uh, good luck to you. I hope you find it. Well, time to start on the towns, I think, Ed. Stores, banks, land offices. Yeah, and restaurants and hotels. All right, Becky. We're going to hit the trail again. The horses like to search anyway. <laughs> yeah. They sure like to get out. No wonder people look at us as if we're kind of crazy. A bundle of clothes and no idea whether it was one man or two. No idea their names. Except maybe Rayner. Or Raymer. Maybe. Well, Constable, let's not get discouraged. Sooner or later, we'll pick up his trail. Hold still, Becky. And when we do, it'll just be a matter of time. Yeah, all right, then. We'll start scouring the town, starting with Gold Creek. Right. He was short, with sandy hair, blue eyes, thin mouth. He may have registered in this hotel under the name of Rayner or Raymer. Please think back. It was probably in April. These are the clothes he was wearing. We believe he was from Atlantic City. Do you remember anyone answering that description, picking up mail here? It would probably be addressed general delivery. I'm sorry to bother you, ma'am, but if you could possibly remember anyone wearing these clothes coming into the bar around April. Short man. Probably had an American accent. It would help a lot if you could remember. I don't suppose there's a chance that you ever saw him. Yeah, sure. I think I see that fella. What? You do? Well, did he did he stay at your boarding house here? Oh, no, but we used to eat at the same place. Uh, I remember on account of that jacket. I always liked a red jacket like that. I always wanted one. And I asked this fellow where he got it. Do you remember what he said? No. No, I can't remember where he said. Somewhere I couldn't get to, I think. At Atlantic City? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you taking this down, Jack? Yes, I've got it. Now then, look. Do you remember this man's name? No, not his last name. Uh, we used to call him the kid. The kid? 
That was what his buddy called him. Well, then there was someone else hanging around with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, big guy. I didn't like him much. Uh, big six-footer in black sombrero. Said they was looking for a quarter section around here. He was one of the Underhills. Duncan Underhill. Underhill? Are you sure? Yeah. That's the one they say left home 15 years ago. That's how I remember. This big fellow, this Duncan, he was asking about his family. Where they were living now. And you directed him? Huh? You, you told him where they were living? Oh, sure, yes. They got a farm about 20 miles Yeah, out. Yes, yes, I know. Look, now, can you remember anything else about these men? Anything at all? Like what? Well, where else in town they might have gone, or who else knew them? Oh, they only hung around a couple of days. Uh, then I never saw them again. Well, is there anyone in town who would know the name of the young man that you call the kid? Oh, maybe down at the pool hall. Uh, they used to play a lot of pool, maybe, I think. Good. Thank you very much for your help. Your information's been very valuable. We'll be back to talk to you later. In the meantime, I'd appreciate it if you'd go back in your mind and try to recall every detail of these men. Their conversation, appearance, anything at all. Sure, sure, I do that. Jack, you go down to the pool hall, see what you can find out. I'm going back to question the Underhill family again. Constable Henry, and I, I, I just don't understand it all. My brother Duncan. Well, I, you know, I ain't seen him in 15 years. Well, you're quite sure of that, Charlie? Sure? Well, oh, sure I'm sure. I wouldn't even know what he looks like. Oh, that's a funny thing. Because the man I was just talking to swore he was in town in April. Well, how do you know it was Duncan? Well, apparently your brother told him. Ah, uh, then maybe it wasn't Duncan at all. Maybe some other fella. If he was a murderer, then naturally he might take another name, mightn't he? Well, murderers don't usually take the name of an actual person whose family lives in the area. What does your brother look like? Oh, well, now, uh, 15 years ago. Oh, dear. Well, well he was you just a kid, Constable. No pictures of him around anywhere? No, not even a snap. Duncan, he never cared much about his family. Only Muriel, she's the only one he even ever writes to. And what, oh, well, that's a funny coincidence. There's a letter came for her from Duncan just today. Where is it? It's right there on the table. She hasn't come in yet. Uh, I said, what are you doing, Constable? Is this the letter here? Yeah, but wait a minute. It's addressed to my sister. Well, I'm afraid I'll have to intercept this letter, Charlie. Oh, just, you can't do that, Constable. I'm authorized to do so. You say your brother had nothing to do with the crime? I'm positive. Do I look like I'm lying? No, you don't. I've always felt you were telling the truth, Charlie. So if you are, then this letter can't do any of you any harm. But it might answer a few questions for me. I didn't get much information at the pool hall, Ed. They confirmed the descriptions, that's all. Well, I found something, Jack. That letter? What is it? From Duncan Underhill to his sister Muriel. Postmark McDermott, Alberta. Listen. Dear Muriel... I'm settled in here and found the piece of land I've been looking for, so thought I'd let you know. Don't give anyone my address, but if anything interesting happens, let me know so I can keep up with things. Incidentally, if you happen to get a letter from a Mr. Roller... Roller? Rainer? Raymer? Or Roller? Could be. Letter from a Mr. Roller in Atlantic City uh-huh. asking about his son... Forward it to me, and don't bother mentioning it to anyone. Young Roller was thinking of buying in with me, but went back to the States several months ago, but before that night, I dropped in to see you. 
He said at the time that he wasn't going home and his father might start hunting for him, so like I say, if you hear from him, I'll be glad to help him any way I can. That's all for now, best son. Hmm. Well, this doesn't prove Duncan Underhill did the killing. Uh, well, it certainly bears out the story that he was in this area and that he knew young Roller. You think the victim is Roller, then? Well, I certainly suspect it is. But I'm afraid we'll have to get the boy's father up here from Atlantic City to identify him. I've already wired him, sent the report to Atlantic City Police. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile? Well, while we're waiting for identification, we'll contact the authorities in McDermott and make some inquiries about Duncan. It looks like we're getting warm, Jack, and about time. son, all right. I'm sorry, Mr. Roller. Very sorry we had to expose you to this. Would you come into the other room now? I, I've been worrying about him for months. He was always going off, getting one scheme or another. I, I never thought this would happen to him. It's a vicious crime, Mr. Roller. And we're going to see that justice is done. You can be sure of that. Anything. Anything I can do to help. Did you ever hear your son mention a man named Duncan Underhill? Underhill? No, no, I, I don't think so. Tell me, why did he leave home? He was coming up here to Canada to buy a ranch. I, I didn't want him to come all this way, but he said he'd been advised he could get a good buy up here. Who advised him, do you know? He didn't say just that it was a, a friend of his who lived somewhere around here, knew the country, knew the values. Someone whose, whose family had always lived here, he said. Mm, that sounds like Duncan. So my boy set off with all his money. Money? Yes. He just got a legacy from an uncle of his. $10,000. Ah, there we are. Up to now, there's been no motive for the crime. 10000 would be quite an incentive, I should think. I've got some information on... Oh, I'm sorry, Constable. I didn't realize... Now, this is Mr. Roller, Constable Howard. How do you How do? do? So what is it, Constable? Anything on Underhill? Yes. He's going by the name of Tom Spaulding. Uh-huh. Got a ranch just outside McDermott. Bought it two months ago for $10,000 cash. Hey, Jack, over here. Oh, there you are. I didn't recognize you in your slouch hat and dungarees. You look pretty good yourself. I don't think Duncan will spot us. That is, if he ever turns up at this saloon. Well, they seem to think you'll show sooner or later. You tried his ranch again? Yeah, I just came from there. <laughs> Say, uh, what happened when you talked with Muriel Underhill? Well, she finally broke down and confessed that Duncan dropped in at the farm in April, late one night. None of the others knew he was there. So Charlie was telling the truth? Yeah, he didn't know a thing about it. The sister's pretty worried. I think she suspects Duncan did it all right. Hey, Ed. What? There's our man. Just came in. Yeah, it looks like him. You're right. Yeah, someone talking to him. We better wait until he's alone. Best chance of starting a brawl. Come on, we'll stroll over towards him. Sure, you do that, Harry. You give me a price on the steers and I'll think it over. <laughs> All right, so long. Excuse me. Yeah? Are you Tom Spaulding? Oh, yeah. What do you fellas want? You mean Tom Spaulding's the name you go by? 
Well, sure, it's a name I go by. Wasn't you... Duncan Underhill good enough for you? What do you mean? All right, you just come along with us. I'm Constable Henry of the Mounted Police. You're under arrest for murder. arrested him and proved him guilty, too. One minute it did look like they didn't have a thing to go on, and the next they were hot on the trail. When I tell this to my nephew, I wince when I think of his surefire remark. Yeah, and what's that? Then it's true, isn't it, Uncle, that the Mounties always get their man? Authentic stories of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Music under the direction of Sidney Torch. Script and adaptation under the supervision of John Adaskin. Produced and directed by Harry Allen Tower. From our Canadians Abroad segment, we have Broadway's My Beat from August 10th, 1949. The case is called the Jane Darnell case, and the featured actors are Larry Thor from Manitoba. Broadway's My Beat, from Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Broadway, it's a journey some people have to make. A journey that ends in a screaming, blinding furnace of light, or ends in darkness, cool and still. You walk it with a quick puppet strut of slapstick, or you walk it slow. Slow, like the last walk you'll ever take. Whatever way it is, it's my beat. Broadway is full of people that are like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. One of them, if you put them together right, will turn out to be Jed Stacy, scandal reporter for a rag that reports scandals. If it's a hot August evening and he's wearing his Hollywood shirt and yellow silk mohair pants, $90 the outfit, he'll buy you a free meal for a price. Jack. Bring us prosciutto with melon, dichissoise, shrimp poulette, and a decent white wine. You got that? We were sure sticky. Yeah. Okay, Jed. Why the banquet? Ah, you know me, don't you, Danny? I don't give nothing for nothing. I don't get nothing for nothing. Yeah, that's life, like Jock says. Yeah. Look, Danny, I got a note in the mail today, a typewritten note. I want to read it to you. Something you wrote? No, this has class. <laughs> here's what it says. Dear columnist, if you need a prophecy, here's a prophecy. A girl, Jane Darnell, will be found murdered tonight. That's a prophecy. Now, just checking, Danny. You got a corpse named Jane Darnell? No. Give me that note. Give it to me. Sure, sure. Here, Danny, I'm through with it. It'll be in my column tomorrow anyway. It's all set up. Why didn't you give me this before? Ah, uh, you know, it scribes, Danny. We clutch things to our bosom. Besides, what good would it do you? 
For Jane Darnell is going to be killed, how would you stop it? You'd play nursemaid to a murder for a beat, wouldn't you, Jed? You're getting too large, kid. Too large. Take it easy, Danny. First, you got to find the little lady. It's a tough thing to do. Even for a guy like you, it's a tough thing. There's a telephone call for you, Monsieur Stacy. No, thanks, Jack. Plug it in here, will you? Uh, oui, Monsieur. Excuse me, Danny. Yeah? Yeah, this is Stacy. Where? Okay. Yeah, you get a fin. Yeah, the same to you. Come on, Danny. We're going someplace? Yeah, to the room of a Jane Dowell. She's asleep in it, Danny. Dead asleep. Just like I prophesy in tomorrow's column. In here, Lieutenant. Right over there on the bed. Yeah, Sergeant, I see. Strangled, huh? With a silk stocking. I'm not a guy who knows about a thing like this, Danny, but it looks like the murder weapon is a pretty inferior piece of merchandise. <laughs> Buck 98 will get you three pairs. Take your hands off that stocking, Judd. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Danny. Police methods. Uh, I should have known better. Okay, Sergeant, give me the rundown. Uh, call from the landlady at 8.10 p.m. Yeah? Landlady's story as follows. She returned here at 5 after 8, and then she... Where'd she return from? Corner bar. She spent the afternoon there singing Ghost Riders in the Sky and nursing the 10-cent beer for six hours. And they threw her out at 8 sharp. Here we checked. Go on. Well, the landlady knocked at the door of Jane Darnell, the deceased. Upon receiving no answer, she walked in and found the deceased thus. I mean, like so. Uh, I mean, uh, okay, okay. Where's the landlady now? I peeked across the hall when we came in, Danny. Yeah. There's a little old lady sitting in a rocker with a compress on a little wrinkled forehead and a little wrinkled nose on top of a big, big bottle. Landlady, huh? Yeah. Right see. in here, lady. Come on. Right in this room. Take your hands off of me. I've been walking a long time without your help. Who's this, officer? A man who says he lives here. A man who My says name's his name is... Mac Taylor. What's going on here? Okay, officer, that's all. What's your business here, Mr. Taylor? I live here. Now answer a question for me. What's this all about? Did you know Jane Darnell? Oh, my Shirley. She takes two hours every Saturday night in the bathroom. And she is the... Oh, that's her over on the bed. What's the matter with her? She's dead. Murdered. Murdered? But, but who did it? Mr. Taylor, there's millions of people in New York. A little while ago, one of those millions of people came into this room and wrapped a silk stocking around Jane Darnell's neck. The person who did that was the person who murdered her. Do you know who it was, Mr. Taylor? <laughs> Mr. Taylor didn't. She was just the other rent-a-stayer in the boarding house as far as he was concerned. She never even smiled at him, he said. Man, you'd have to be mighty strange to kill a girl for that, he assured me. I assured him he'd better stick around. And then I went home and had indigestion all night from the meal Judge Stacy ordered that I never ate. The next morning, I spent the first two hours mulling over what I had in the murder of Jane Darnell. It came to two things. All I had was a girl in the morgue and a typewritten note saying she'd be there. Or, as Sergeant Tartaglia put it... All we got, Danny, is a girl in the morgue and a typewritten note saying she'd be there. Tartaglia, would you mind repeating that? Well, sure, Danny. I said all we got oh, is never a... never mind. Anything on that typewritten note Jed Stacy gave me? Kind of typewriter, stationery? Oh, typed on a Corona portable. A new model. Cheap, grade of stationery. The five and ten cent store stuff. Uh, routine check, turn up anything? No, not yet. I can't find a thing on this Jane Darnell. No friends, no relatives, nothing any. Well, it looks like this will be a tough one for us to crack. It'll take time, Zartaglia, but it'll crack. Danny Clover speaking. What? Who is this? Zartaglia. Trace this call. Yeah. Who is this speaking? I, I can't hear you. Speak louder, huh? Yeah? Yeah, I got that. When? 
Who is this speaking? Hello. Hello, hello. What? Oh, look, operator, I was talking to someone and we were cut off. Uh, I see. Well, thank you, operator. Pataglio. Common efficient service, You trace the call? Oh, sure. Well, what, what? You traced it to a phone booth in Grand Central Station. Oh, fine. That call was important? Tartaglia, I was just speaking to a murderer. Yeah? Well, why did he have this... Uh, a murderer? Yeah, a murderer who was disguising his voice. He had to say just this. He had to say he did quite a job on Jane Darnell, and tonight he was going to do a better one on a friend of hers. A friend named Mary Smith. Mary Smith? Hey, I know a Mary Smith. Which Mary Smith, Danny? Which Mary Smith? Tartaglia was right. In a city of eight million, what chance do you have of finding a Mary Smith? If it's the Mary Smith who's going to be struck down by a murderer, the odds are precisely one in eight million. You come up with Mary Smith's all right. You trace one of them to Sing Sing, where she was doing 20 years for dynamiting a bank. Another Mary Smith left her husband's bed and board in Poughkeepsie. And you talk to a Mary Smith who says... Oh, uh, Mr. my name's Mary Smith, and I know a secret. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had So you try again. Oh, forgive me, sir, for having kept you waiting. It wasn't my hour for meditation. Uh, are you Mary Smith? Yes. Of course I am Mary Smith. In China, my name is Lesu. But since I am in America, I have adopted a name that is 100% American. Uh, Mary Smith. Hey, and do you know a Jane Darnell? No. No. I am sure I do not. Jane Darnell. Oh, Americans have such a strange name. Yeah. Danny! Hey, Danny, hop in. I want to take you someplace where maybe you ought to be. Move your hearse out of the way, Jed. I might scrape the polish with my shabby squad car. Oh, now, Danny, you don't like me anymore. That hurts. I like you. Now, will you move your car? Hey, told me at headquarters you'd be here. Now, look, if you check with me, I could have saved you wear and tear, Danny. I'll make a note. Always check with Jed Stacy. He'll save you wear and tear. Or maybe I can buy it tomorrow for a nickel. You're fighting me, boy. You're fighting me. Get out of my way. You got nothing to say to me. Nothing I want to hear. You want to hear this, Danny? The Mary Smith you're looking for. I know where she is. Where? If we're still friends, I'll tell you where. Cut it down to a number in a street. Ten, we're 16, Danny. A sordid walk-up, a scabrous How dwelling. do you know so much, paper boy? Anonymous phone call, Danny. Anonymous voice. Voice gives me address and particulars. Particulars? Anonymous girl named Mary Smith. Now we're friends again, huh, Danny? Huh? Miss Smith. Miss Smith. Open up, Miss Smith. It's the police. Maybe you should open it yourself, Clover. Yeah. Miss Smith. The girl named Mary Smith was home. She wasn't anonymous anymore. The scrawl of blood on her clean cotton dress gave her an identity. And the ice pick thrust deep into her throat was like an ugly pin that held her in one place in one time. And death hadn't yet washed away the torture and the strain and the horror that was frozen in the carved lines of her body. The draft from the door I had crashed open moved her hair in gentle whirls away from her face. Then I saw her hand holding something tight, like a claw. It held onto it tight. It was a typewritten note. It said, What 
girl next, police. What girl next? I give you a riddle. There were two that will be three. Who will it be? Who will it be? You are listening to Broadway's My Beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Those two outstanding adventure shows, Escape and Crime Photographer, will bring you new thrills, new chills, just a little later tonight. Casey, crime photographer, will encounter a wealthy stamp collector, his two sons, and a strange murder in Death of a Stranger. Escape will present another Thursday thriller in Red Wine by Lawrence Blockman. This Thursday, every Thursday, hear Escape and Crime Photographer on most of these same CBS network stations. Now back to Broadway's My Beat. Broadway all depends on the mood you're in. You can be part of the mob and perform for the sightseers, or you can write notes about murdering women and go about your business of murdering. In the latter case, Broadway dangles from strings. Broadway performs for a madman. It puts on a mask of horror and talks in whispers. Two people had died violently, and the clues I had for their dying were about as valuable as a pinch of dust. Correction, I had a thing of value. Another note. What girl next, the note said. It would be valuable if I knew what girl next. The only ray of sunshine at headquarters next morning was a police sergeant named Tartaglia, who did all sorts of remarkable things with details and file cards and pencil sharpeners. Morning, Danny. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Yeah. What have we got, Tartaglia? Well, I checked Judge Stacy, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a pretty good alibi. He was with you at the approximate time of both murders. Only approximate. How long does it take to kill a person? Hey, what did you find on that border, Mac Taylor? Oh, he's got an answer for every question we ask him. Right now, we're still checking the answers. So far, Mac Taylor's been telling the truth. Okay, okay. But what's in that envelope? Oh, in this envelope, Danny, intelligence from the FBI. Yeah, with Los Angeles still operating, it's a wonder they have the time. Let's see it. Yeah, sure, here. You know, on account of we didn't have any data on Jane Garnell and Mary Smith, I wired the prince down to Washington like I... Well, like you should have. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this data you're holding was wired back. Hey, those boys in Washington sure work. Hey, look at this, Tartaglia. Huh? A link. A link between Jane Darnell and Mary Smith. Washington had their prints because they worked in a war plant. That tells you something, Danny? Maybe. Maybe a lot. They both worked for the same outfit, the Westfall Tool Company. A manufacturing firm across the river in Jersey. Get my hip boots, Tartaglia. I'm going to take a boat ride. <laughs> see me about, mister? I'm Danny Clover, New York Police Department. Oh, glad to know you. I'm Freddie Ney, Punch Press Department. You've been working in this department long, Mr. Ney? Oh, ten years. Why? Try this in your memory. Jane Darnell and Mary Smith. What does that do to you? 
Jane Darnell, Mary Smith, uh, J- Oh, yeah, yeah, that does something to me, all right. Yeah, they worked here side by side in my department. Uh-huh. Right through the war and after we converted automobile parts. And what else? Well, they quit about a year ago, within a week of each other. Within a week of each other, huh? How would that figure, Mr. Ney? Well, they were chummy. Jane Darnell and Mary Smith were in a carpool with another girl. All three of them rode to work in Jane's car. This uh, other girl, who was she? I don't know. She wasn't in my department. Does your personnel department keep records of people who ride together in carpools? No, never did. We got all the paperwork we can handle. Yeah. Where's the phone? Right over there. Thanks. Uh, Can I get an outside line on this? Sure. I guess that's about all I can tell you about those two, Mr. Clover. Well, maybe it was enough. Hello? Motor vehicles? Give me registration. Anything else, Mr. Clover? No, that'll be all. Uh, Registration? This is Danny Clover. Want the make and the model of a car owned by Jane Darnell. Uh, yeah, motor number two. You sure there's nothing else, Mr. Clover? I, uh, I enjoy aiding and abetting the police. I said that's all. You can go now. Yeah? Yeah? DeSoto Sedan, 1947. Motor number 137596. Yeah, I got it. Thanks. Get the operator to connect me with Sergeant Tartaglia at headquarters. A Tartaglio? Danny Clover, a, a detailed Tartaglio. A rush job. Fast enough maybe to save a girl's life. Now get this. A DeSoto Sedan, 1947. Motor number 137596. Registered in the name of Jane Darnell. Find it, Tartaglia. Find it fast. Now all there was was to wait. Wait while the life of a girl ticked away. A nameless girl in a nameless place. And the girl without the name watched as she waited, her face veiled in the gauze of terror, and her eyes piercing the veil with hatred because all you could do was wait. There were two that will be free, the note said. And three is a number that can add up to death. And a motor has a number that can add up to... And then suddenly the waiting was over. They traced the number chased it to a littered, junk-strewn yard presided over by a frightened little man wearing a beret. I do not know why suddenly I am a matter for the police. I have done everything as it was told me to. Oh, well, don't worry about it, Mr. Uh... Uh, Stern, David Stern. Yeah. They tell me here in America that there is dignity in dealing with junk, so I deal in it. But with the police, dignity becomes sour. It'll sweeten up, Mr. Stern. Give us a chance. Oh, I, I did not mean that. I, I mean, what I mean is not insult, only an analysis, a philosophical diagnosis. It's too deep for me, Mr. Stern, some other time. Where's the car? Uh, you mean the one that the policeman in the uniform checked its number on its internal anatomy? I mean the one... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one I mean. Eternal anatomy? It's right here to your left, you see. That heap of junk? The police are interested perhaps in buying some used parts. The hubcaps are still nice and the carburetor... When was this brought in, Mr. Stern? Oh, just about a year ago. I, I remember because, you see, I remember the personality of machines. Now, this one is the victim of complete nervous shock. Hmm, it looks like it was in a wreck, a, a bad wreck. <laughs> exactly, that's what brought on this psychosis. But in, in good hands, with good treatment, this could recover, if maybe. Uh, yeah, well, thanks, Mr. Stern, thanks. Maybe I ought to start going to night school. Huh? You said something? <laughs> 
Danny. Hi. Welcome to Police Transcript and Records. Your presence is like a shaft of light in a warehouse of darkness. Coslow, will you do something for me and not have it come out an epic? This will take much doing. What's your pleasure, Danny? Open a window. How do you guys breathe in here? Sergeant Down? Yeah, Coslow. Open a window. Danny can't breathe. Ah, that was thrilling how you did that, Sergeant Downs. You may now go back to your typewriter. Anything else, Danny? I could fan you with this fan, courtesy Huxley's mortuary. Oh, thanks. A little closer, Coswell. Yeah, fine. Mm. Now get me everything you've got on an automobile accident. This car, about a year ago. Sergeant Downs? Uh, you get it, Coswell. I'll hold the fan. Your command is like a caress, Danny. Never mind, Downs. I shall get it. Oh, by the way, Danny, there's a gentleman sitting over there. Been waiting for you. Gentleman by the name of Jed Stacy. Shall I present you? Get the dope on the accident now, as in right now. Yes, sir, Lieutenant. What do you want, Jed? Oh, it's not what I want, Danny. It's what my syndicate wants. You know, columnists, no life of their own. Is that why you're always around when people die? So you can gloat? I didn't hear you say that, Danny. I'll make like I didn't hear it. Now, Danny, my syndicate is curious whether you found out who the number three girl's going to be. I bleed for you and your syndicate. You told me about the other two, Jen. How come you don't have a private line on this one? Danny, I got it all by myself. Read it for me, Coslow. Just the words without the hand. How else? Accident involving this car, May 10th, 1948. Crashed into by Mrs. Mildred Quimby. Mrs. Quimby was killed. Who was in the DeSoto when it happened? Three girls, Jane Darnell, Mary Smith, and Sally Webb. You got an address on this Sally Webb? Most assuredly. 417th West 55th. We also got pictures of the whole mess. You may have them if you want them, Danny, without signing. Take back your fan, Coslow. You earned it. Sally Webb, eh? That's the girl my syndicate wants. Do they now? Print this, Jed. Print it and I'll tear you apart. So long, Jed. <laughs> I don't believe you, Mr. Clover. I don't believe you. Why should anyone want to murder me? We're dealing with a madman, Miss Webb. A madman who makes his own reasons. But me? Why me? I I never hurt anyone or anything in my life. Maybe Jane Darnell and Mary Smith were like that, but they were killed. I hardly knew them. I just rode with them to work. We had nothing in common outside of that. You had this in common, Miss Webb. You were in an accident in which a woman was killed. Oh, she was killed. Can she rise from the dead to murder me for that? Someone who loved her very much might want to kill you because he holds all of you responsible for her death. Oh, then why don't you catch him, put him in a cage, rip him into shreds, and, well, do something, something. Miss Webb, that, that picture on your bureau, who is it? My boyfriend, why? How long have you known him? Oh, a few months. You expecting someone? No. Let him in. Let them in, Sally. Sally, I found this envelope addressed to you in your mailbox. I brought it up. Is it all right? Give it to me, little girl. Huh? Oh, give it to me, Mary, and uh, you better go now. All right, Sally. Sorry I haven't time to be polite, Sally. Mind if I see what's in the envelope? Thanks. Here, read it, Sally. And the third is Sally Webb. At 8 o'clock tonight, it's Sally Webb. Spin, Sally, spin to... Eight o'clock, then it's done. The same cheap paper, the same type, the same pattern. Now do you believe it, Sally? Oh, yes. Yes, help me, Mr. Clover. Please help me. If you'll help me. How? Just tell me how. Sally, I want you to spend the rest of the day as you would spend any other day. One of our men will be with you all the time. You'll never see him. You're not to look for him. 
But I want you back here before 8 o'clock, understand? Before 8 o'clock. Oh, I'm frightened, Mr. Clover. I'm frightened. The only way, Sally. You wanted him in a cage, that's where you'll be, just like you said. In a cage. So the trap was set. Sally Webb, the bait. New York Police Department, the hunter. The hunted? Somebody in that jungle city. Somebody crouching now in a dark corner until another time of killing. The man I had tailed Sally Webb called in every half hour from a dress shop, a fruit store, from a laundromat, places like that. Then about 7 o'clock, the trap began to shape itself. A police cordon thrown around the block on West 55th Street where Sally lived. And a few minutes before 8, I was standing in a doorway next to the address, and the trap was ready to be sprung. How about north and south of 55th Street? They covered? Yes, sir. No one gets through on 8th or 9th. Except the girl. Except the girl, Sergeant. And whoever might be following mm-hmm. you. Uh, how about our boy? The one you assigned to Taylor? He's got orders to drop out of the corner of 9th and 55th. Uh-huh. Now, get this, Sergeant. Yeah. I want your men in uniform to stay out of sight. Plain clothes as inconspicuous as possible. No noise. Yes, sir. That's what I told the men. Who's that? What chowderhead was stupid enough to use his siren? That's probably the phone for you, sir. He's siren happy. Well, I hope he's going to be happy pounding the cement and flushing. We just came out of the subway entrance. That's her. Sally Webb. The time's just passed, just about eight. She's walking off the slope. She's scared. Scared. She's inside. See? The lights just went on. Let's go, Sergeant. Let's go. Miss Webb, it's Danny Clover. Danny Clover. Lieutenant. Yeah, she's dead. She's dead, Sergeant. Close your eyes and try real hard to believe it. She's dead. But I don't understand. How could you... The coroner will call it a long, sharp weapon. The coroner's jury can blame me for it. What are you talking about, Lieutenant? The subway. The one place I forgot about. The one place where she'd be with a thousand people and still be alone. She was stabbed on the subway. She had just enough strength to get inside her door. What are you doing, Sergeant? Oh, well, this stuff must have spilled out of her purse when she keeled over. Just junk, though. Lipstick, cigarettes. What's that? The piece of paper you're holding? Nothing, I guess. Just a piece of paper. Oh, wait. Something's typed on it. Huh? Read it. Uh, now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of his country. I love you, I love you, I love you. Let's see that. The letterhead says Ridley's Department Store, furnishings for your every need. Get me a squad car, Sergeant. I got a feeling Ridley's is going to furnish my every need. Interested in a typewriter, mister? Oh, I didn't know you worked here, Mac. Mac Taylor, isn't it? The indignant boarder who lived across the hall from Jane Donnell? Uh, yes, this is my place of business. The typewriter department. Yeah. I've got a time card, employee's number, everything. I sell it. You want to buy one? Uh, some other time. Which corona did you type those murder notes on? Huh? What do you mean? Sally Webb really loved you, didn't she, Mac? I got proof positive of that. She put your picture on her bureau, and she hung around here and wrote love notes on your demonstrator typewriter. So? Tell me something, Mac. When did you change your name from Quinby to Taylor? We've got a doctor in this department store, Clover. Uh, maybe you need to see him. I have a picture of Mildred Quinby, my wife. What do you know about Mildred Quinby? I said I have her picture, Mac. Here. When she was killed in an automobile accident. Look at it, Mac. Go on, look at it. I'll kill you. 
Like they killed my wife. Like I killed all of them. I'll kill you. Let's put away that gun. This place is filled with people. What do I care about people? My wife is dead. What now? Dead man's got a gun. This is crazy. way to get you, Mac. Clover, you can't miss. A madman lying in the blood of his death isn't much different from any man who dies in violence. There was a kind of furious serenity on the face of Mac Taylor or Quimby, as though all at the same time he rejected and embraced the peace that a tearing bullet had offered his brain. They took him away. Then someone swirled a mop over the blood-stained tile of the floor. And that was the requiem for a madman. Broadway is a street of sounds. The hissing sound of the neon. The sweet sound of a girl's laugh. The harsh, rasping sound of the light deep inside the earth. And the other sound. The sigh. The painful sigh no one hears. It's Broadway. The gaudiest. The most violent the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway, my feet. Broadway's My Beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover is produced and directed by Gordon T. Hughes with script by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. Musical direction is by Lud Gluskin. Be sure to join us next week, same time, same station, for Broadway's My Beat. The launching of a promising career as a singer, a bunch of yellow roses from an admirer, a single sniff of their aroma, and sudden death. These are the events that launch Mr. Keene, himself a promising career man, as sleuth in one of his most fascinating cases tonight. Mr. Keene's latest adventure, The Yellow Rose Murder Case, follows immediately over most of these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. There goes our time for this week, folks. I hope you'll be able to join me next week. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking. <laughs>